Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, live from Dubai. Today I'm joined by Jeff Pedley, a fellow Yorkshire person who's now living and teaching in Belgium. Join us as we talk about international teaching and the European school system. You can be part of the conversation by calling or texting in. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts. Um, I'm really excited actually today to be joined by Jeff Pedley because we're going to be talking all about the European school system and we're going to get to hear about international teaching in a completely different context. Um, Jeff and I had a call last week and honestly I could have quite happily just sat and done the whole chat then so I'm really looking forward to having him as a guest on today's show. Um, Tonight, I am fully embracing the multicultural aspect of my job. Um, as right outside my window, there is a wonderful iftar going on outside um, as I speak. So you may be able to hear some of the celebrations um, because it is just so lovely to be able to see friends, family, community come together, breaking their fasts and celebrating the holy month of Ramadan. Um, so yes, like I said, if you can hear background noise and celebration, that is because there is a full-blown event going on right outside my window. It's a bit of a case of FOMO right now, looking at everybody having a wonderful time. Um, but won't be for long, because we're going to have an amazing show today. So term three should have just about started, I would imagine, for everybody about now. Um, and I really hope that everybody managed to tackle those awful Sunday night blues. I saw a lot of comments about this on Twitter yesterday, and I really did feel for a lot of people. Um, and I really hope that everybody's Mondays, their first Mondays back, really weren't too traumatic. Um, we're in week three now, and we've just entered our final week of Ramadan hours. Um, we should be celebrating Eid next week. Um, I am really going to miss these eight o'clock starts. They've been amazing. Um, it's been much more civilized than being in at seven. But never mind. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to say too much tonight because, as I mentioned earlier, Jeff and I have got so much to discuss and talk about. So I'm going to go straight into the ads and the news and, you know, my favorite, the two-minute tech and then I'm going to invite Jeff to join me straight away so that we can get started and get chatting. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. 
a world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalized education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows are running for the first time since the pandemic began. New schools advice is due to be issued on Friday, May the 6th. Teaching unions, however, have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching Union, UCAC, summed up mixed feelings, saying, Hopefully, with the weather improving, there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown, head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff, said, we are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term. So we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first year six labour service for two years. We started trips last term and years five and six had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. A 
According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, it was such a difficult time for people. There was less support for families. There was less socialization happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, https www.ttradio.org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission. So if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. WWW is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org, .org, tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time, we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
So hi and, oh goodness me, sorry, hi and welcome back to um, Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts. I do apologise for my, <coughs> my voice, we're going to get there though. Um, today I am joined by Jeff Pedley, who is a fellow English teacher. He is a fellow Yorkshire neighbour, um, but now he lives and works in Brussels. So Jeff, you should be with us now, so hi. Hello, good afternoon. Good evening, sorry, should I say. I know, it's, very, it's pitch black here now, which is very bizarre for me when I say I do the drive home show. But hi, <laughs> thank you for joining. Uh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here uh, and have this opportunity to talk about the European school system. And it's really nice to hear a fellow Yorkshire voice as well. We don't hear many of them uh, where I am at the moment. Certainly don't hear many of them where I am either, so it's really nice <laughs> to have a fellow Yorkshire voice with me on. Um, so I mentioned at the start of the show, um, people have gone back to work. You were back at work today, weren't you? How was it your first day back? Yeah, it was nice. The first day back today, we... Uh, as I will explain, the system is a little bit different from the, the local systems that we have in Europe. So uh, all my friends, I live, I live in Flanders. I live in a town called Alst, which is in, uh, which is in East Flanders. And uh, they all went back last week. So it's, it, it, it's, it's really interesting to when you have that delayed week. I always think it's better to, ha to have the delay and go back the week after everyone else. And uh, yeah, rather than feeling guilty that first week. I definitely agree. I didn't like being off so early because then I got like massive, like looking at everybody else when they'd had their holidays and mine was over. That wasn't a nice feeling. I definitely prefer to do it your way around. Anyway, we're already getting ahead of ourselves. So. <laughs> um, if you wouldn't mind, Jeff, just telling everybody a little bit about yourself and your career so far, that would be wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So my name's Jeff Pedley. As uh, as Rebecca says, I'm an English teacher. I graduated in 2011, I think it was. Uh, I did my teacher training up in Lancaster. So I'm into my 11th year now of teaching. Before that, I was a, a teaching assistant. I uh, worked in New Zealand also uh, on, on a gap year and uh, I, I was a cover teacher as well. So I'm, I think I've just jotted it down. I think I'm coming into my 18th year working in schools, but again, 11th year as a teacher. I was born in Germany to a, uh, with a military background. My, my, my father was in the army and moved to, moved to England when I was five. Uh, as I said, I did my training in Lancaster. Quite soon after my train wanted to move down south, I knew that I wanted to move either to London or London Fringe to try and, uh, for tr uh, career progression, really. A lot of the schools that I worked at, uh, in, in, in my training schools, some really nice schools. Uh, it was a bit dead man's shoes, really. I'd had a, a, a lot of uh, hair a long time. And so I wanted to move down south. I wanted to move to as close to London as I could, really. I ended up moving, doing my NQT year in a town called Whitton, which is in Essex, probably about an hour and a half outside of London or so. Uh, and I was quite, uh, I say lucky, I, I, I became a, uh, a head of year in my NQT year at the end of my, my first year. It was in a, uh, a vertical uh, tutoring system, so a head of year equivalent, uh, responsible for a quarter of the school, 11 to 18 behaviour, etc., uh, progress attendance. And I was there for two years. I actually, the head teacher moved to a school in Tilbury 
and I followed my second year of teaching. I moved down to Tilbury in Thurrock on the, the London-Essex border, and I stayed there for a fair old while. I think I did about eight years, uh, eight years there in total, seven or eight years. And then, uh, yeah, and then I ended up in Belgium. I mean, you've done quite a lot of, say it's 11 years, I feel like you've done quite a lot of actually moving around. Um, how was that first year, you know, doing your NQT and then going straight into a pastoral role? How did you find that? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting at the time, at the time I felt ready for it even though and even though we're talking nqt year high because i'd had lots of school experience before and i'd had mm -hmm. lots of little uh, responsibilities without around the school uh, and i because it was a it was a quite a small school as well relative to, to some others that i'd been to so i did really want to to get in as soon as possible looking back i am um, it could have easily waited a second third fourth year would have would have not uh slowed my progression really i think uh to be for, for, for teaching for a long time well not for a long time but to get in prove basically proving yourself as a teacher for a few years before you go into a middle management or a senior position definitely but at the same time a lot of the mistakes that not mistakes but things that i learned in that first year were so valuable and I made my mistakes quicker, really, from a management point of view, which <laughs> lots of lots of successes as well, of course. But uh, and it was nice to, uh, yeah, yeah, it was interesting, interesting. But uh, but again, looking back, I think I probably would have preferred second, third year, maybe get into a position like that. I think, like you say, though, you kind of take those opportunities where you can, and then it's also you, you cut your teeth pretty much, you know, a lot faster. I think in that respect. Yeah. I think um, when you, uh, sorry, I think when you when you're younger, you really want to, or when you sometimes when you're an enthusiastic NQT, you think that the most important is sometimes getting those TLRs, getting those middle management positions, moving up as quickly as you can, and and actually, especially when it comes to man management, I think uh, there's no substitute for proving yourself as a really effective and successful teacher, and and letting things just organically and naturally. Uh, progress I think is 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 more beneficial really I think that's a really good point actually and I think it is something I think you do naturally want to feel like you're proving yourself I think you, you find that don't you sometimes in that school environment and I think it is what you've just said about actually just taking time to hone your craft as a teacher sometimes is just as valuable as trying to to go straight up the ladder yeah the most um the most oh sorry to interrupt the most uh, uh uh, my my biggest promotions, my biggest progression was always when I was the calmest and, and least chasing it and more more comfortable as a teacher. You know, whenever I stopped <laughs> in that early stage trying to progress quickly, as soon as I stopped trying, again, that's when it, it, it happened more naturally. Do you know what? That's exactly the same for me. Like when I moved out here to Dubai, I got rid of any responsibility and was just a classroom teacher. And six months later, I was asked to be head of department. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was definitely not something that I was particularly looking for. Um, but yeah, I think it is really interesting. I think anybody that's listening, you know, don't feel disheartened. I think you sometimes get that whole sense of, oh, I've been teaching three years and not opportunities haven't come up. But it's one of those things, isn't it? Everybody's journey is slightly different. So I don't think that we should compare or try and stress ourselves too much about whatever journey our path is going to take. And also, it's those teachers that when they say, I, 
oh, I just want to be a teacher. That's seriously more than <laughs> that's seriously more than enough. That's a massive job in itself. Anyway, I'm really sorry because we're massively digressing. I've got a gazillion questions to ask you this afternoon. <laughs> afternoon. Um, so I'm going to crack straight on because the reason why we are here, or well, one of the reasons, is to talk about the European school system. Um, and when Jeff and I did speak the other day, I mean, I knew nothing about this and I'm absolutely fascinated. So I know that lots of people will be as well. So, Jeff, I'm really just going to leave this over to you if you don't mind explaining how the whole system works, please. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, I uh, shall I briefly just say how well uh, it was actually <laughs> my my partner is from Belgium, so that's the reason why I uh, why I ended over here. We we uh, my bam, and we pl I placed on a, a pin one day uh, for New Year's Eve where we should meet halfway between England, it's uh, halfway between London and Amsterdam, and we chose a town, a city called Ghent in Belgium, and we met each other old fashioned style in a, in a bar in Ghent and we kept in touch and she moved to London with me and then I moved to, to Belgium. One day we wrote uh, everything on a piece of paper, the pluses and minuses of staying in England or, or staying in Belgium, etc. And Belgium slightly edged it. So I quit my job in the December just before, it's the first time ever in my life I have quit a job before having one lined up. But because and it, looking back, it was really, really dangerous. If you think of that time now in hindsight, the December just before the February COVID. Uh, and <laughs> but I thought, I thought give, give the school lots of warning. Obviously, I had, a, I had a management position there. I was like, give them lots of warning to replace me in the September. I have, I have six, seven, nine months really until September to get a position lined up in Belgium. And then COVID struck in, in February and we were emigrating looking i was emigrating looking for a new job and moving to a yeah moving into a completely new country with two new languages all at the same time so it was pretty crazy at the start but luckily uh i was on the internet one day and i saw a position for a school called eeb2 in brussels uh, i had no idea what the uh what, what what the system was i heard that it was a european school uh i uh I just thought it was. Ju it just meant it was within within Europe. Maybe I didn't know if that was a general term or something. I, I, I noticed when we put it on Twitter that we were going to be talking about European schools. Some guy replied underneath, "How can there be a European school system? There must be a French system, a Latvian system." Eh? Yeah, and I, I saw this tweet. <laughs> and the European school system is a type of international school that was set up in 1953, I think it was, in Luxembourg, uh, with the objective of providing an education to the children of employees of the old uh, European coal and steel community before the, the, the basically forerunner for the EU. And it started as a private enterprise uh, just uh, just to cater for the for the for the children of this uh, or the employees of of of, of the system, and uh, however it quickly became uh, seen as a symbol of of capturing the spirit of like the post war focus to to try and integrate Europe and and very quickly uh, more schools joined this joined this system it hasn't expand, expanded massively because its main aim was to cater for the children of uh, originally anyway the children of eu workers so as it stands now i believe there are 13 european schools 
all around places where you generally find EU workers. So, for example, in Brussels, we have the most. There's when I joined, there was there were four EU schools. Uh, sorry, European schools in Brussels. There are now actually five one opened this year in the old nato building they normally buy old public buildings so in the old nato building there's the fifth european school in brussels and there's also a rumor don't don't uh uh don't quote me on this but there's there's, there's been uh, another acquisition in the south of brussels as well and looking to it for a fifth school we are massively oversubscribed we have with our primary school, I think we're touching five, uh, four thousand students. It's oh a massive, goodness. it's a massive school, and quite quite crammed as well. And so we are, which is not ideal for COVID. We are looking at, uh, or, the, or the system is looking at get, getting more schools, particularly in Brussels. Its aim is to cater for EU, uh, sorry, for the children of EU workers, commissioners, or whatever. However, on paper. There is also a second and third tier, which is for NATO and UN children as well. And then as a fourth tier, again, on paper, just the general public should be allowed to apply for, for this school as well. However, there is a there is a fee there. It becomes, a like I say, a fee-paying school for the public. Uh, historically, there's been quite a lot of famous people that have come out of this system. I mean, Boris Johnson, actually, ironically, Boris Johnson went to our sister school in Brussels, EEB1, uh, yeah. Uh, in i guess it would be the equivalent i think it's year six year seven uh he was there i have this which is really really interesting and i just have visions of myself of him getting really severely bullied in the bustles and maybe this is uh, the forerunner of brexit but uh Perhaps, yeah we're I, dealing with some childhood trauma <laughs> maybe and uh i and his 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 brother and sister i believe went to the school as well also his his dad was a was based based in Brussels for a while as a working for the EU, so I believe that's that's where it came about. But we also, ironically, at the same school, Ursula von uh, von der Leyen, the, the the current president of the European Commission, actually went to the same school as Boris Johnson as well. Ironically, over here in Brussels, uh, which is really interesting. And there's lots of yeah, lots of uh, like I say, famous people that come out of this come out of this system. Uh-huh. Uh, it's. It's it's a very interesting system. It's a very interesting system. As I say, the majority of the schools take uh, uh, are based around places of work for EU workers. So, as I say, there's 13 in total across six countries. I think so. There's five in Belgium. Uh, let's have a look at it now. No, yeah, there's five in Germany. There's one in. Ver- couple in Luxembourg, one in Netherlands, all in Alicante in Spain, and there was one in the UK. Uh, which was closed in 2017 at Cullum. Uh, and we have a few accredited schools as well around around Europe as well, which still use the same system but aren't an official uh, European school. I think that's a nice list of locations for anybody that's listening. Who thinks <laughs> Probably shouldn't put my name in that, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like I say, it's a very, very interesting system because it's not officially part of the... EU. I don't believe it's funded by the EU, but it, but the actual European schools is a is a separate uh, is a separate organisation. However, it is uh, it's jointly controlled by the by the member states of the European Union and the European Commission. So, in other words, uh, our schools. So th- th- this what's make this is what makes this school so interesting. 
all the teachers at this school are sent from their respect each year. They have to go a really through a really vigorous process in their in their own countries. Uh, ju jump through lots and lots of hoops, get seconded by the school. I, I believe, the, like I say, they're still supported by their home school while they're here. They get uh, lots of teachers get nine year contracts. Uh, so have to, re which I always find is a, quite an awkward length of time mm. because it's long enough to give. I mean, it's it's a it's term commitment. It's a, it, enough to settle down and and, and create roots, but not long enough to then like i say to then come away from it and have to go back to your your, your jobs back in your home countries uh so it's a very interesting system and uh however there's a two-tier teaching system as you can probably imagine that the, the there's certain countries that, that are no longer involved in this system the uk actually pulled out uh before brexit uh, a few years ago if you imagine a school like this which has a really strong uh a really strong focus on languages and I'll, and I'll come into the subjects that are taught here in a, in a moment but nearly all i'd say all of the students at this school will learn english either as their very few students as their first language i think there's only about 20 to 30 in every year and even that is that they're normally from other countries as well not necessarily uh completely uh mother tongue of english but also as the second language they will learn uh, or third language, they will learn English. So if you imagine the amount of teachers that need to be this system, the amount of English teachers that need to be sent into this system to cater for the, the basically in this school will be 4,000 students learning English uh, and how many actual British nationals uh, there are within the system. It was obviously not very financially beneficial for the. It wasn't. A, they weren't getting a fair deal uh, with the, the British government who were who were submitting these teachers across. So therefore, mm -hmm. it pulled out the system a few years ago. So I'm actually employed as a as a locally recruited teacher, which means that I'm employed as a Bre as a Belgian citizen, as quite a lot of as, as quite a few of the the French teachers are. Some of the German teachers as well were as as Belgians really, rather than rather than from the British government. So how does that differentiate in terms of your contract then? Or do you find that you've got different terms and conditions in terms of like how many years and things? It's, it's a very interesting, <coughs> this, is this is probably one of the worst aspects about the job, the job security and the difference from England is that the contract is permanent unless they can, unless you will be replaced by a teacher from a government. So for example, I have a permanent contract, but I could quite easily be, I say quite easily, hopefully not, uh, replaced by a, a teacher from another country. Bearing in mind that there are lots of very competent English teachers who don't necessarily have English as their first language. Uh -huh. uh, for example, there might be somebody in Bulgaria, in France, in, in Sweden, whoever, wherever, who is an English teacher, who therefore could take my position. So it's... It's it's a very dangerous situation in in some ways. However, there's there've, there've been some strikes recently, and, and and the process is moving forward to try and offer parity for the locally recruited teachers along the same side as the uh, as the teachers who are employed by the national governments. Well, that's quite good in terms of progress. I mean, here, for example, our contracts are pretty well. Um, yeah, two years is pretty much the um, the general one, and what you have to do, we have to our intentions um at like christmas time to be honest so we have mm. to say 
we're definitely staying or we're definitely leaving or we're not sure, which obviously could be quite awkward for some people because yeah. like you say, you've then got a really long time, haven't you, where you're in post. But I suppose as well, that's kind of the nature and the transience of international teaching. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest, one of the most biggest change, sorry, one of the biggest changes between the British system is I'm paid exact, well, not exactly, but almost exactly for the time that I do. So I am paid for every te- every period that I teach each week. Uh, and five minutes, I have 16 45-minute periods, uh, sorry, uh, 21, sorry, 45-minute uh, periods. I think it's about 16 hours. Uh, and so the interesting side on this is that if I do anything extra, then I get paid for that as well. So if I do a cover lesson, for example, if I uh, have to do, and, and, and cover lessons can go in two ways. So for example, I could be a cover teacher where I just sit and just give the work out from another teacher, or I could be a cover teacher that actually teaches. There's different rates of pay for the work that you do in that 45 minutes. And I think this I, is absolutely <laughs> wild. I'd be like, I'll do cover every single day. Like, yeah, shoe, shoe wardrobe. I then. do, because... Because in this system, you don't have to be on school when you're not, you don't have to be at school when you're not teaching. So I literally only have to be on site for those 16 hours that I'm teaching. I can, uh, on a Friday, for example, I've only got two lessons on a Friday and I start at half past two in the afternoon. So I, I, I just, on the outskirts, so I actually just do cover in the morning. I do cover for... <laughs> for like, I, I do like five periods of cover or something. You know, it's 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 compared to the English system, I can quite easily sit there and get my work done or, you know, or, or, or teach if it's an English lesson or, or, or for example, a lesson that I can teach. And to get paid for it is crazy at the end of the month to say, oh, I did 20 lessons of cover. Oh, that's a nice, you know, few hundred or whatever, that well, probably more than a few hundred for 20 lessons. And then uh, I got married uh, earlier this year and Come a lot of my, <laughs> that was, touched no. on the story, the fact that, with a massive like leap over and all during COVID time, but then you've even got married. So yeah, huge yeah. congratulations. And my, uh, my cover, I was thinking every day doing a cover lesson, I was like, that's a course or two courses of the wedding paid for. It literally, <laughs> it literally was like, just do the cover and just, which is like I say, is crazy to think about it. I look at my timetable that I used to have back in Essex and you know, if I sat down for five minutes, if I wasn't, uh, you know, if I wasn't if I, uh, assigned to something in a five minute period, then my manager and, and and I wasn't, you know, I was I was quite a senior manager, but I was still expected to be doing something in every minute of that day. Yeah. Uh, or and, and likewise, I would feel I I'd been conditioned as well to make sure that my teams were always doing something at every minute of the day. And I think that's one of, one of my favorite things about this system is that you are given so much more independence, trust, autonomy, uh, I say autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a part of that to, to get on, to be trusted, to, to get your work done within the ta- time that's allocated to you. And I just think that that is probably one of the biggest, I mean, we're going to, I'm, we were going to, I'm going to ask you, and again, we'll kind of bookend this and talk about the biggest attractions to <clears throat> working in that system. But it, it's this point that we keep coming back to, you know, the professional autonomy. I don't feel that there are many professions. Maybe it's just because we've got personal experience and we're biased in that way of thinking. Mm. But 
I don't feel that there are many professions that are scrutinized and checked as much as that of teachers. And it's like you're not employing people or people haven't gone into the profession with the idea that they want to mess kids' lives up. You know, it's the actual complete opposite. Yeah. And I it's blows my mind when you think about the situations and the settings and the kind of bureaucracy and the rigmarole you kind of have to go to to prove what you're doing as a teacher and you you get that guilt so badly don't you I hate it yeah and I, I, I can't, uh, uh, yeah yeah I completely agree it's such an like I say such an interesting system this to to be this which leads me on to our next thing really there's there's not really the, the middle management doesn't exist as a concept in this in this system we don't have any people who are we don't have any heads of key stage heads of uh heads of department we have coordinators which are basically literally that are coordinators they're paid one period a week to get to communicate and to pass on information not they're not there to make they're not a, a to check on accountability or or standards or anything like that. It's literally a coordination role. And, uh, for example, there's no financial incentive because, as, as I've said, you get paid as a, as a baseline teacher. You get paid for how many lessons you teach. So, for example, if I'm teaching 21 and my coordinator's teaching 15 and then she gets an extra one for being a coordinator, she literally is on, like I say, 20%, 25% less than me as uh -huh. the coordinator of the department. So there's no financial incentive. There's no status really, because I guess, I guess if I put it on my CV that I was the, the English coordinator, I think you would already have preconceptions of what I've done in that role. And I'd, I'd feel a bit of a fraud actually then coming up to you and saying, well, actually I wasn't really accountable. You know, I didn't make my <laughs> accountable, my department accountable for anything. So there's there are a kind of head of year position like a counselor role however mm -hmm. it is non-teaching and they're just 100 percent dealing with pastoral issues uh which which again is amazing uh as a teacher and and yeah so this this idea of being completely scrutinized and having every minute of every day uh scrutinized has completely gone and it's like I say, it blows my mind even think about it. I really, I, I keep my finger on the pulse back home because you can come sometimes get a bit conditioned. I'm in my second year now. I'm like, I need to remember what it was like back home. I need to remember. And I like, I scan through my phone and I look at my own timetables or print screens of when, <laughs> you know, when I had days of meetings. Uh, like I say, I would have days as a, as a, as a head of year in, in, in Essex as well, where I would get to school at six, like like lots of people who are probably listening, get to school six, half six, have a prepare my lessons, then go into a into a management meeting, then go into a, a, a lower meeting where I would have to pass on to them in, information, then go into a uh, then go into teaching all day, and then uh, you revision sessions after school, and then I would have my office next door to my classroom. I would have a list of my non-teaching assistant would have a list need to chase up with bullying or the police or social services or whatever. And I would stay at school till eight o'clock at night and go home and and then and get back up at six o'clock in like five o'clock in the morning to get in at six and I need to remember that that's the system I was in yeah and that's the thing that I come to on this show a lot I don't think I don't think we work any less hard I think we work differently but for me one of the biggest pulls about international teaching is that work-life balance I mean if I want to work until eight o'clock I'm doing it on my sofa but it's very much my own you know it's my own prerogative but 
I would say that just does not happen anymore. And like my weekends are my own, my time is my own so much more, but I do work, you know, our days are long and we work hard, but yeah, I definitely think that just in the international context, it's really nice to hear about it from your system. There's definitely that sense of work-life balance and also thinking about even more so with you, with this whole sense of professional kind of responsibility, which, you know, and autonomy, I guess. Yeah, and the system itself, it would be very hard to have a really strict management uh, accountability system in the fact that in the fact that all of the teachers come from their own countries with their own uh, with their own experience of their own systems. So, for example, uh, you know, we've in my school in my school we have got uh, nine different sections. So we've got German, French, Dutch, Italian. Uh, a, a Baltic section, Finnish, Swedish, Portuguese, and uh, I think I've missed one. I can't remember who I've missed, but uh, there's we have all these different sections, and so and they come into this system, bringing their strengths from their system. So for and and no matter what you say, it, it is amazing, and that's one of the benefits of this system. It's it truly is international in the fact that these teachers are still teachers in their home countries and still getting their CPD, their training in their own country and bringing it here. You've got the, the French teachers here who have very uh, rigid uh, and very uh, defined ways of teaching, especially when it comes to language. And... Uh, and you're still using chalkboards in some cases. And then you've got Finnish teachers who are looking at these chalkboards like, what the hell is going on? Like, I haven't <laughs> seen these for like 60 years. And they're like, they're coming in with their, you know, their iPads connected to everything in the in the, in the classroom and touchscreen TV. And and it's really interesting because you you really do get to see what actually works when you put all of these things in contrast and comparison and and it strips everything away so you can just focus on what works and what what is good teaching that sounds amazing from a teaching and learning perspective teaching and learning is like one of my biggest passions and biggest drivers at like whole school level that just sounds like a phenomenal experience to kind of like you say measure your own practice see what works see what doesn't work in different contexts and from different experiences um I just wanted to just, I think we've kind of touched on it, but it'd just be really nice if we could just kind of um, highlight from all of this information, like what the biggest attractions are. I mean, I've certainly got my own list, but <laughs> <laughs> listening to everything you're saying, but from your perspective, what are the biggest attractions of actually working in this system? I think, of course, the work-life balance by far. There is, I mean, I teach from 11 to 18. I've got, uh, I didn't really touch on the, um, the system here, but they, they have something called the uh, European Baccalaureate, which is their, uh, which is the exam that they do for the eight, uh, the two-year course, which is examined in their 18th year. They call it basically, yeah, basically year 13. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the system here is, it just allows you, it allows you to focus on teaching Okay, there's there's extra workloads with with this administration for these higher higher exams, but it really just allows you to focus on your teaching. You can strip everything away, and just keep the stuff that worked in the UK. Just keep the things that actually worked. I have very, I do have schemes of work. I do have uh, guidance on the on the European school system. But again, again, some of these 
some of these things can be extremely, extremely brief, you know, and normally there's a, there's an asterisk at the bottom that says something like uh, content can be changed uh, for the teacher's uh, experience and, and, and interest and for, for students' engagement and for uh, the, the skill level of the student. You know, you, they're literally put as a as a caveat for some, lots of these things that you can change the content completely and the skills based on the students that you have in front of you. It's very, very interesting. So it's... Uh, so, so this is a massive, massive achievement. Uh, uh, sorry, massive uh, attraction. But I think for me personally, I don't know if this is everyone's cup of tea, but just linguistic richness that you have within this system. You know, I mm -hmm. within within the English system, I once remember a bit of a light bulb moment when somebody said to me, uh, Jeff, when when was the last last time you learned? quite a few things from your colleagues, like from a from an English point of view. And I did have some amazing, competent, skilled, engaging in colleagues, but because of the, the, the schemes that we were teaching sometimes, we were kind of a bit caught up in them and we weren't really pushing our own development yeah, Academ our own academic development as through as, as as much as we would. I would say pedagogically, we were. I would say from an education point of view, we were pushing ourselves all the time from a time management, logistical point of view, all of these things definitely. But I think from my academic point of view, I wasn't really being challenged as much as I am now in the fact that I can. I'm just a couple of doors down from the staff room. I can walk into the staff room now, and I will be hearing. And I'll try and speak a bit of French at the cafeteria. Then I'll go and speak with some of the Dutch administrators, which I'm learning Dutch and French at the moment, uh, based in which Flanders. Thank you, Val. Thank you, Val. And then, uh, and then, t t my my partner's learning uh, Italian at the moment, and so I'm, I'm I'm I sit on the Italian table with some of the teachers, and we sometimes have a chat, and we go around, and one of my best friends in there is Finnish, and he teaches us a few phrases every day. So I am constantly pushed. You know, I need to learn a lot of phrases in French just for the day to day running in the corridors. You know, if I need to speak with with students, so I'm literally learning a thousand times more every day myself personally than I did it at some times within the English system. But I think as well, I'd like, it's something that really resonated with me. I remember being at school and I had a history teacher who, he was literally like David Starkey's twin. Anything <laughs> he needed to know about the Tudors, he knew it. But anything beyond that time period, really. And, that, and I always remember thinking, God, he's so clever. And then yeah. as I got older, I realized, no, he knows everything about, and we've had a very similar conversation in our school recently. Um, and it was something that my head teacher brought to a meeting. And I thought, God, yeah, that's so true. And that's this guy. And, it, and someone had been in a school for 25 years. And he said, well, I've been, and somebody had said, oh, he'd been criticized, basically. This is, I'm now telling mm. a third time story <laughs> I've been teaching for 25 years and he was pulled up and they said no you've been teaching one thing for 25 you've been teaching the same yeah thing. you've taught for one year 25 times <laughs> and I just thought that's so true and I think what you're saying that kind of like first and again as you're talking it really resonates in both settings I'm in my second school now in Dubai you have to start teaching different things and looking at it from different perspectives. And I think you're right. We sometimes forget, yes, we think about the pedagogy and we think about, you know, 
the latest edu book, but actually mm. what we could be doing to broaden what we can teach in the classroom. And I think, again, that experience that you're having, it just sounds so rich. I'm so jealous when you talk about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, yeah, I like I say, I absolutely love this. And I've just lost my train of thought there, but yeah. Sorry, um, I completely into it, but I was just so interested in what you were saying about it. I just thought, sorry, I had to kind of chip in. Um, Oh, I think, uh, no, I was just saying, so, yeah, it's just so rich that you can go from all of these different, these languages, things, and you're constantly pushed forward. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it makes me, yeah, it really does make you, uh, oh, that's what I was going to say, sorry, that it isn't just just academically as well, but from a teaching point of view, my role has changed, really, my teaching, my subject has changed, really, because I've as, as with yourself probably as well I'm no longer an English teacher anymore I feel like I'm a, an MFL teacher now and I'm I'm more subs I'm, I've always been a member of Nate but I'm now looking at the language learning journals and reading those as well alongside uh -huh. uh, alongside as as a lot of international teachers find that the competence of English is always not always but can always be a high standard that I haven't massively changed the content or the skills that I teach however you know, today I've just come out of a lesson teaching, you know, the pre the context of the pre-Raphaelites and, and uh, uh, Christina Rossetti, Goblin Market and, mm -hmm. uh, and Cousin Kate, you know, which would be no different. Cousin Kate was on the GCSE poetry anthology. You know, I haven't actually changed my content too much, which is interesting. But the but as, as you say, you, you're coming at it from an MFL point of view. And I think the biggest gap that, that I've come across is is the grammar as well as as, as, yes, as an mfl teacher yeah um i know this is something that we've kind of touched on when we were talking the other day but i think it is one of those things and i have been doing some tutoring and the boy said and the boy who's um his governess that's been organizing she said i just don't ever remember this being taught to us in school i don't remember yeah. ever needing to know these sorts of things and i was like I don't remember either. And I think grammar is one of those ones that I've always felt, because I'm a literature, I don't know about you, but I'm a literature yeah. student. So I'm, my last foray with language was doing lit and lang combined A-level. So, I mean, you're talking a really long time ago. Yeah, um, that's exactly the same for me. I did lang, uh, lang lit combined at A-level and then literature at, at Lancaster. And, uh, and yeah, and it was very interesting for me that then I would see things within the year seven scheme here, interestingly, that had not been covered in, not just within my degrees, but in any any subsequent school that I'd taught in, in, in England. And yeah. I do, and if I could go back now, if I could go back to uh, if, and teach in the UK, I would make sure that students knew, you know, that, uh, knew their... I don't know, drink, drank, drunk, and, and swim, swam, swim, because I, d I think it's just we, we, we overgloss it sometimes in the, or we overlook it sometimes in the English system. The importance of grammar, past participles, all of this, which actually is really, really important. It really is. And, I, and honestly, it was no more apparent to me than when I actually started te teaching um, in, a, in an Arabic speaking school. And they'd say, Miss, can I close the AC? Because they didn't have the same verb formation. Yeah turn off and I realized at that point just how important really and then one of my very close friends she's done um her TEFL course 
and she talks to me about teaching English and I'm like you're talking about this from a much more forensic point of view than I am <laughs> I like and I've actually asked her for resources and things in the past because she's actually been teaching me when you actually look at the grammatical structures of things so yeah I think that's definitely I think you experience that a lot more perhaps in your setting than I do because it's certainly now I am in a very traditional international British curriculum school um so you know I'm I'm back to teaching to the old Edexcel exam you know so yeah. <laughs> kind of shrunk a little bit again now which um so when you're saying about this and like the open-ended nature I just kind of want to touch as well um oh my gosh Jeff I'm looking at the time and we have barely even scratched <laughs> surf I knew this was gonna happen um I just would like you to explain a little bit about the European um, baccalaureate. Obviously, a lot of us know about the IB, but you did mention it, and I would just be really interested for people to know a little bit more about that as well, please. Yeah, I'd, I'd like you to have a guess. Shall I ask you a question? Because this is the most outstanding thing for me. <laughs> How many subjects do you think are required to, to be studied? There's a least and a maximum of, of sub subjects that you're expected to learn for the European baccalaureate. How many do you think? Well, I'm now trying to think about the IB. So you've got sciences, you've got maths, you've got English, you've got your languages. You've got five, haven't you, for the IB? Am I totally wrong? Because I don't teach the IB. Um, so oh, in, in the European school, oh, go on, go on, have a guess. Oh, I'm really, I'm really thinking about this right now. And then I'm thinking about what you'd have to do if you do. Is your European baccalaureate, this is when you're 18 or is this when so you're So this 16? is year, year 12 and year 13. Okay, I'm going to go with five. X, the maximum is 11. Now, I, Sorry, I missed the minimum. It broke up. What was it? Uh, eight minimum oh, and okay. 11, 11 maximum. Oh, my God. GCSE style. <laughs> I know. I don't know about you, but I, I struggled with three uh, A2s in <laughs> 2003 or whatever. <laughs> How do I have time to study this history? You know, and you've got bearing in mind that their history, geography, uh, they study ethics and philosophy and physical education, all changes into their second language in the year nine equivalent. So, and they're still assessed in their second language at basically A level. So imagine history, so history on, in French or for us. I mean, this is incredible. I speak to my students often about being global citizens and the fact that, you know, they live in such a multicultural, I know people don't always think it, but actually it is a yeah. very tolerant place, a lot more tolerant than people give this, give the UAE credit for. We are, it's a very tolerant place. And I um I always say to my students, you know, you are global citizens because you are working alongside children from all over the world. You're all from all over the world. But actually, in comparison to what you're saying here, academically, I mean, what an... I mean, it sounds exhausting. I know. But this, what an opportunity. Friends who speak four languages fluently, and I would say occasionally I will come across five or six, you know, I'll come across a student who has six fluent languages i've just had a i've just had a parent meeting this this just uh, earlier today and the student in question is an austrian student 
So mm-hmm. his first language is German. He, yeah. he's, he speaks Spanish at home as well, so German and Spanish. His mum wanted to... Uh, imp- he lives in Brussels, so he wanted to improve his French, so they put French as his first language at school. English is his second language. And for his third language, he, uh, he's, I think he does do German at the school as his third language. And for f- his fourth language, he started studying Dutch. But he's also got some uh, some history with some Polish as well, and I think a bit of Turkish. But his fluent languages are German, Spanish, English, and I think his Dutch is getting there as well. That was just a student just now, really. I mean, this just blows my mind. And it absolutely, I mean, I'm proud of myself when I can order a glass of wine and a beer in a bar. In <laughs> I, am, I am shocking, and I am in awe of anybody. I say this to my students all the time because, you know, they are, we teach them as first language speakers, English, mm. but they are, I would say, well, I teach 90% um, Arabic speakers. Um, you know, and I always say to them, are you thinking in English or are you thinking in Arabic now? Because I just, like, how on earth does your brain process? How is he doing <laughs> yeah. like, What language is he thinking it- in? It's a superpower. <laughs> Total the town I, I live in is uh, is Dutch speaking, and so like this morning because it was a new term, I had to order my season ticket for the month. So I'm feeling proud of myself. But it takes me about half an hour to switch my Dutch into French. So all I'm I'm in Brussels within 20 minutes, and then uh, Dutch on paper should be half Dutch, half French speaking. It isn't. It's more 90 percent French speaking really when you from. And then it's hard for me to change out of the Dutch. It's like a slow ship turning. I have to stay in Dutch all day, I think. (laughs) But fair play, though. Fair play for doing it yourself. I mean, that's amazing. Um, I have tried. I've dabbled with some Arabic, but it's really hard. And, um, yeah, I really... And, again, it's one of those things, maybe it's an ignorance thing. Like, you just hear, you just don't need it everywhere. I mean... I don't even notice anymore the signs in Arabic because everything's in English either above or below. Yeah. Sorry to put in, just changing the subject. I read an interesting journal uh, just last night, actually, which was, uh-huh. and it was comparing, I'll Twitter or so, but it was comparing the difference between French teaching in England and in Germany. So MFL teaching. Okay. And what it found out, the conclusions were that within the English GCSE, within the French GCSE in England, uh, there's a massive focus on accuracy, and 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 where whereas in the German system there is and, and sorry accuracy and it kind of taught in isolation. Again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm sure some. Uh, whereas in the German system, there was a, a stronger focus on communication and culture. And you you were allowed to make mistakes. You were allowed to ad lib and, and and get through the conversation. Whereas in England, there was this kind of pressure to get everything a hundred percent correct. And it, it's interesting when you think of that. When I, I can imagine when you're learning Arabic and things, you're so it's so accurate. Where actually, it's the communication is the most important. But as you're saying that to me, I think about how many times, like how many, you know, how many times, I've just done it there, how many fillers we put in in our day-to-day yeah. how many times we repair our own language. And you think it's just, it's not natural to, that's not how we should be celebrating or teaching or maybe that's why we have, in general, in my belief, you know, we don't have mm. a lot of students who have those passions for languages certainly not my my experience of teaching in the UK I don't want to generalize but I've certainly found on the international circuit um the students are a lot more confident 
because I think they're exposed to different languages and they know that yeah. it's all right to get it wrong. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I say, everybody, probably not me, I'm probably, as I say, one of the the worst language speakers in the entire school, really, when you think of the, all, all of the people here. And it's, but it's so rich for them, but they, they all, I, I think they get better at learning a language once they've learned a second, third, fourth or so. They seem to, they know what are the key terms which are going to get them through the communication, which they hone in on. And I feel that they definitely get quicker at learning languages the more that they learn. Uh-huh. I think it is, though, it's that exposure, isn't it, that enables them to then, like you say, mm. because you pick things up all the time. You know, even when we're just looking at the etymology of words, is in English, yeah. the links and the connections. So I would imagine when you're exposed to more, it probably does make it easier. Um I also just kind of just changing and moving on a little bit. Now you've, you've touched upon this and you've talked about it, but the idea that you can kind of plan your own curriculum, I want you to go into this a little bit, please, mainly because the depths of my envy um, <laughs> are very strong. Um, but, yeah, how have you, like, gone about – because you design um, – I'll just explain for people, and then obviously you can go into a lot more detail, but – designing your own assessments designing your own kind of teacher examinations you know how do you go about designing your own curriculum like where do you even begin when you've got so much choice yeah I just take out the best bits from my 10 years of teaching at the start you know like I, I, it's it's so amazing just to just to pick your favorite favorite bits of what you have taught in England and make sure it's and then, and then link it to the to the to the spec that you're doing. Uh, there is or, or, or to, to the plan that you're doing. I I try and I'm a little bit conditioned. I'm still definitely conditioned in the UK system, and I was still use a lot of resources in in the GCSE years that are very similar to look at me doing cousin Kate today for example and things like this and <laughs> and because just just poems that I really enjoy or that I really liked I, I still use we're we're given a theme for example in the back and the theme at the moment is conflict and the set text that we were given was uh, street so things things okay. like cousin Kate is 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 great for that for the comparison but uh, for the lower years you're given almost complete freedom in when it compared when it well complete co freedom when it comes to the content of the literature you just from a language point of view you've just got certain uh levels of the framework that you need to get them up to and how you get them to that is completely up to yourself up to yourselves if i if you our department today you would see one teacher use, using a lot of drama using a maybe a bridged version of hamlet uh i was doing some speak uh, some we had another teacher who was doing a, an analytical exam, you know, so it, it, it's like there's so much going on and so much. It's really vibrant and maybe not the most vibrant examples ever. It, you, so you can do whatever you want, which obviously you have your interests. So that's what makes it so that's what gives you that extra acceleration of passion in the classrooms as well. I think it just sounds wonderful and like you say like you walk from one to another our head teacher he has you can tell we've had a staff meeting today um and he has a <laughs> phrase and he's like consistently inconsistent he was like you know you know what the outcomes need to be how you get there how you want to teach them he was like we've all employed mm. because and I I love that 
I love that that's kind of celebrated. And he said to me, he said, I know I'll go into your room and I know what I'll see and yeah. I know I'll go in next door and it'll be a completely different situation. But then I see your assessments and the things at the end and we've all got there. And he said, no, I, I just love that. And I, I think I think we need more of that, don't we? I think that needs to be more, more celebrated, more... I more think... Good. It's difficult because from a management point of view, we do feel, and as I say, I'm, I'm, I was on that side of constant, not constantly checking, but you know, like being, make, making sure people were accountable or for things. And it's very interesting because I think it kind of sets some kind of, the UK system for me gives an environment where we don't trust each other as well. It isn't just not being trusted by the management, but sometimes we hide our own, experiences or expertise or or, or or skills because it doesn't fit whatever it is that we have to teach and we kind of don't and then maybe people don't understand or don't recognize what our strengths actually are as well uh, and so it is it is a complete like eye-open of this system the again uh, uh, on on the flip side of this it reminds me a lot of when do you remember the the app grids and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the app grids and, and and the systems we had before and then the stu uh, the government i can't remember what year it was was it 2016 maybe something like this 2017 something like this they removed they removed them maybe a bit earlier and schools were asked to uh, create their own milestones and create their yeah. own uh, <laughs> assessment points etc and i remember that at the start that it was so feel it's like completely liberating but a bit scary mm -hmm. at the same time you know that that you again you've got faith in yourself but you just need to it, it's like i remember think for the first two years i think we still did rely heavily on the app grids and then going back to them and just like oh we're just going to dip out a little bit further away from this uh but it, it reminds me it reminds me a lot of that of, of that system but imagine that times hundred where everything is gone you know like i'm writing the the exams for my gcse students you know imagine that you which again is maybe workload in a different way but imagine that you know exactly what's on that test and exactly what what you're teaching towards and exactly the skills that you're gonna uh, be able to evidence you know it's it, it's, it's a delight i'm literally like sat here thinking because when you we talked about this the other day i didn't even think about that you know like right now preparing students well I'm not currently preparing classes students just through tutoring but you know and I've gone back to that whole and, and obviously we're two years out of the game now obviously because we have just done teacher assessed for the last two years and last year um you know we were kind of using the assessments that had already been put in front of the students so it is a bit it's that similarity but going back now to that whole well, I wouldn't possibly want to say if it's going to be George or Lenny or Curly's wife or if it's going to be the theme of learning. Yeah. And, and I've lost that kind of, I don't know, it was always an educated guess, wasn't it, every year mm. that we all do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I not feel confident to do that at all, so we are, we're really going for everything. Um, but, yeah, I never even thought about that, you know, because then you're not focusing so much on the content and you can just constantly be building their skills all the time, which is yeah. really what we're doing in year seven, eight, nine. You know, we're still recovering the curriculum after COVID. Mm. And, you know, we're using probably less of text. I've always been, you know, I've 
tried to get as many books down kids as possible. I'm a real advocate about reading, but I'm finding certainly at the moment while we're still recovering this curriculum, <laughs> yeah, is that you know just teach the skills and teach them well. So yeah, yeah the thought of you knowing what your end goal is going to be. But, that must be incredible because it takes so much of that other uncertainty away. Yeah, I think the biggest went from a from a learning point of view. The biggest thing that's different in this system is that they they focus more on the outcomes than they do the progress and the journey and the. Uh, so, for example, you know the. That there's more onus on the on the students and less on less on the teacher. Uh -huh. If if a student if a student is not keeping up with the pace academically behaviorally with with what your expectations are they will be resitting that year you 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 can't they, you know you you will inform parents that you know your student is going to fail with me this is what i expect behaviorally academically if i haven't you know we we don't teach any revision sessions we don't teach any extra time we put all our resources on this is where we expect you to be if you're not there there's a website there that has some extra tuition on, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some resources online there, but this is where you need to be by the end of the year. If you're not at that stage, then you, you will go back and you'll resit this year and you'll do it again. Well, that's amazing. And when you say that, like, how realistically does that happen? Like how often would you um, say that happens to kids? So I'd say in a class of 30, maybe one, maybe one in a class of 30 would reset the year. So it's a very real, it's a very real thing then. It's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. actually, see that's again, it's just incredible because you look at kids sometimes, you think there's no way, there's no way you're ready. Mm. And, but and if you, sorry, if you imagine that going all the way from year, from year seven all the way to year 13, imagine the, the focus academically then when you, get to, when you get to year 11, year 12, year 13, because if they haven't kept up with the base, they've gone back and and redone the year to get back up to the expectations it is as i say it's a system it's a it's an, in, an interesting system not 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 for everybody definitely and it, it is a strong linguistic and academic focus which again is not for everyone i completely understand that um can i just ask though as well you you've, you've just kind of mentioned it but the impact that must then have on like behavior and students, you know, working with their own independence, meeting deadlines, you know, taking on extra work. Do you find that because they know they've got a very real threat of not passing the year that you actually see yeah. improved level of engagement? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, it's it's very interesting because we talk about in the in the teaching for the test and you know, and, and as not teaching English anymore, as teaching GCSE English. Uh -huh. In a way, it still it still occurs in this system in the fact that the the students know that you know what's on the test, so yeah. they are looking for clue. They're not always trying to learn English; they're trying to learn you and try and work yeah. out how you're going to present the information on the test. So, in a in a weird way, it's still not obviously not a perfect system, but. It's again. It's all out outcomes. I would definitely say, going back to your point, I definitely say that behaviour is a lot better because, you know, the. I mean, what 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 is behaviour management? It's having your expectations and then there being consequences when when the expectations are broken and mm -hmm. real consequences. There can't be any more real consequence than if you keep on misbehaving in my class, you will resit this class again next year. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any, there's, you don't need any detention rooms. You don't need any detentions. Yeah. No. Yeah, with the exception of getting your marching orders from the whole school. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much... <laughs> You just, you definitely wouldn't want to be that person, would you? The one that's behind <laughs> for the year. Um, and yeah, sorry. Oh no, go no, no! What were you going to say? Uh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's fine. Sorry, now I'm starting to cough. <laughs> um, all I was going to say was really that we actually do need to play. I need to play the ads in the news one more time. So it is going to give us a bit of a break for five minutes, and then I will be back with them for the last part of the show which has absolutely flown by i mean we've barely even scratched the surface we might have to do a part two <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm more than welcome i'm really enjoying this oh wonderful right so jeff and i will be back after this with the next part of the monday drive home show This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly into resources, steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, 
head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows are running for the first time since the pandemic began. New school's advice is due to be issued on Friday, May the 6th. Teaching unions, however, have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching union, UCAC, summed up mixed feelings saying, hopefully with the weather improving, there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown, head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff said, we are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term. So we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first year six leaver service for two years. We started trips last term and years five and six had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, it was such a difficult time for people. There was less support for families. There was less socialization happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. 
In the interest of keeping you, your family, and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, HTTPS www.ttradio.org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission. So if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. WWW is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org, .org, tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time, we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome back to the Monday Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Kitts. And I am joined with Jeff Pedley, by Jeff Pedley, I should say, sorry, who is over in Brussels today. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining me um, and talking all about this fascinating European school system. You're welcome. I mean, I really do feel like we have barely scratched the surface. I'm like looking down my list of questions and I'm like, I've got so much to ask and literally no time left to ask those questions. So I'm not joking when I say this is definitely going to need to have a part two, I think, because I think, like I said, this has probably opened up a lot of interesting information for a lot of people who will be listening to this. No problem. Um, so I just kind of want to go all the way back to the very, very beginning um, now, obviously, you were saying that, the, you know, the pastoral roles in your new school and the system that you're in are completely like non-teaching contact roles. So they are 100% pastoral supervisors, coordinators. Um, but you have yourself had quite an emphasis on pastoral roles throughout your teaching career. And I always think it's quite nice to be able to pass on advice to people who are listening. So if there are people that are listening who are interested in a pastoral kind of route, or they think that that is really where their affinity lies. And um, what kind of advice could you give to somebody who is maybe thinking of going down that career path? Mm, again, generally, I think, uh, as, as, as I said earlier, let it be more, get your teaching for anything, whether you go academic or pastoral, make sure that you're, that you've, that you've proven yourself within your, within your subject. And then I guess you need to find your passion because I feel that, uh, I do feel that there's a clear, there's that clear divide, isn't there, between pastoral and academic. Uh -huh. I I think the 
best advice about taking, or the, or the best reason maybe to take on uh, a pastoral role is that it really allows you to fine tune your management skills. It's it's such such a different such a different way from an academic point of view. In some ways, it's harder. In some ways, it's easier. So, for example, uh, not many teachers consider that would consider themselves a pastoral uh, of a teacher, of course. And so, it's it's generally per, uh, uh, people's second priority. Make it really tough from a management point of view. However, from a uh, from another point of view, it, it allows you a little bit more freedom, maybe to maybe to push things forward that you that you have a passion for, that you have an interest in, and okay. and, and and like I say, I think that's I think that's the nicest thing about pastoral is that from a from a management point of view, you can really fine tune these these skills without having to be a full department lead or a full maybe key stage lead. The uh, the best of the, the most interesting thing for me or from my experience from pastorally has been that i always seem to get i always seem to t I, I was also a key stage uh, key stage coordinator and i've done some department leadership as well and oh. and it always seemed to me i took home so much more as an academic uh, leader than I did than I did as a pastoral leader because a lot of a lot of your work revolves around people so it's the meeting with social services with police with uh, with parents and a lot of these things have to be done in in the day and in and in respectable hours so I did I did find that it was nice in that way that I could I could normally of course you still take things home but just as you do uh, academically I I think and. So maybe my advice would be is that you need to be really generalistic here, but more of a people person perhaps than maybe somebody who wants to put structures in place, maybe, maybe, maybe. No, I think you're probably quite right. I also think I've never done a pastoral role, but I have line managed people who have been teaching in the English department who have then also had a head of year role. And I think from an outside perspective, You've got to be really on it with your time management. I could never do pastoral purely because you just don't know what your day is going to turn out like, do you? You yeah. have everything planned and then that's it. You lose those frees or you lose that time that you thought you were going to sit and mark your books. And yeah. having line managed somebody who's also been ahead of year, I found that massively challenging because the English kept getting left to the wayside and obviously you understand it because it's the human element of the job and if there's children yeah. need you, children need you but it, I, I think I would struggle with the balance of the of the two the pull of them both yeah and and being a pastoral manager it's sometimes I find it is sometimes more difficult to uh uh to to to, to, to to show that you have that that you have created the success that you are you are responsible for things because pastoral is everything and nothing potentially when it comes to GCSE grades etc. There's so many factors that goes into that, that go into children's lives and and pastoral. If if you're somebody who really likes uh, to be quite analytical and quite structured and quite uh, evidence based, I think pastoral is probably not for you because. In in some degrees, because as you've said, the day is a, is a lot about responding to situations, not just students but staff as well, of course. But uh, that uh, that 
that require they require a, a personal touch immediate that will probably not be quantified and not on a, be on Ofsted report and not be on someone's GCSE certificate. No, I know exactly what you mean. And I think, yeah, I think that's something that is very, very important for people to bear in mind. So thank you for that. Now, we really are wrapping up. Like, I can't believe I'm looking at the time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so I would like to go back and just ask you now. I always like to end with a few really personal questions. So my first thing is, what is your favorite thing about your job? What is it that you love and why? Oh, my favorite thing. I love just being in a in a multilingual environment really multicultural it's always pushing me forward in in, in that in that regret uh, in that aspect really i really really do enjoy the uh, the opportunities that we have linguistically here but again and the maybe a second thing sorry i know it should be one thing but a secondly oh, no, 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 to <laughs> just the freedom the freedom to focus on my teaching finally after 11 years or so finally teaching I just think, and I know we've kind of talked about this a lot tonight, but I think I'm just so envious of that level of professional autonomy that I feel that we keep needing to circle back to it because <coughs> I do just think that that being able to have that opportunity in the classroom to do, and like you say, you, you take the things that you know work, have worked in different settings and different mm. contexts, but yeah, I think that just must be absolutely wonderful and never taken for granted. Mm. I still have seating plans. I still have <laughs> spreadsheets. You know, I still have a lot of the things that that worked so well and were so good at, at providing progress. And, and and I'm never going to lose that. But it's just so interesting to have everything taken away and be like, go on then, there's a blank piece of paper. What do you want to bring into it? What do you want to take into your classes, into, into your teaching? I just, yeah, it just sounds, that just sounds magic, to be fair. It really, really does. Um, oh, I had another question for you then, and it's completely just gone. Oh, no, because I really want to, um, I hope it's going to come back to me in a minute. Um, but my other question is a bit broader, and I did say the best piece, but I mean, again, 11 years teaching plus classroom time before that, you've probably got loads of bits of advice, but what is some of the best advice you've ever received in terms of teaching? Uh, I think from a behaviour point of view and behaviour management point of view, giving students an out, I think, is so important. I think a big piece of advice, uh, no matter what the situation is, is just, and again, this is experience, I think. I think it's, it's hard to say what that out is for the student, but, you know, maybe at early stages of her career, we get into, into, into conversations with students that we would never, we would never do in the second year, third year, et cetera. And I think it's giving students an opportunity to, to still, to keep that relationship going, but still reinforce your expectations, having an out. And I mean, in practical, in practical senses, it's really hard to pinpoint sometimes, but it is that day-to-day -day, uh, letting the students still have dignity when you're still giving the expectations. I, a, re a really specific piece of advice I was once given that I still use in, in class today, this was really early in my career, is having sort of two levels of talking sometimes. Uh, so, for example, if I would have a student who's, who struggles with focus sometimes or, or, or maybe ADHD or some of your issues, I would sit him right at the front, right next to me. And I would sometimes have two levels of conversation, which is which I, I haven't had to use in this system. But I might say, right, come on then, turn to page 35. Right, okay, so remember what we talked about last lesson. Okay, so now we need to, and 
it, it was a really interesting, I once saw it used in practice and it worked so well. Uh, to, to, and, and I've kind of used that quite a few times with some of my more difficult classes. I have this kind of two level of conversation, two level conversation going on. But I think, I think, uh, I think again, probably my, it's the most simplest piece of advice, but again, something that I don't always see teachers doing, but behavior management point of view, but just don't speak over other students, you know, never, oh, yeah. never let students speak over you. <laughs> and it's so, it's so simple and it's so, and it, it literally is day one of teacher training, but I still see teachers now 20 years in who would let students speak over them. And I always remember my my trainee at, 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 at my my university or at, at teacher training saying, you know, it just stop. It might take three seconds. It might take six seconds. But and it will feel like half an hour to you that 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 silence waiting for silence. It's such a simple behaviour management. But I mean, like it, it, I don't know if you do public speaking, but like I say, if you ever speak to a, a crowd or a big hall or something like that literally the same thing applies it can be doing an assembly you've got 500 students you're not going to be like right you at the back you know it, you just stop and you just wait a few seconds the second you start talking over them that's your that's your level of expectation and, and you've, you've broken down the the authority i feel it's such you a simple thing such a, nobody is but it's just such a good piece of advice because i mean that's where that's where the teacher stare comes from, though, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's the one thing I always quite enjoy establishing with a new class is they're like when they when I know that they know what the look is, and then you yeah, can yeah, yeah. we're good here now. We're good, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because you're comfortable with it, and you're well, you're in a complete happy state. And for them, it's like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. Well, I, I'm pretty proud of myself. I feel like I've actually managed to perfect it, like with a face mask because we're still in face masks <laughs> now it's just yeah, all in the eyes there's absolutely nothing else going on but yeah they've 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 clocked it and they know but I do think that is such a good piece and you said it and immediately I, my reaction was to talk over you to agree with you <laughs> beyond <coughs> beyond ironic but it's something like you say so simple but yet so effective um and then this is my favorite question to always ask um we've kind of touched on a couple of things already tonight that I think might be going in there um but in terms of teaching practice what in your opinion should be banished to room 101 Ooh, are you going to judge are you going to decide whether it goes in oh no I don't judge I, just, I usually in the <laughs> moment I'm, I'm pretty much left to me my visualizer and a whiteboard so right okay <laughs> Might, this might be a bit controversial, but I don't like colleagues who don't have a sense of humour. But again, I might not. That might not be. Uh, I, I think you really need a sense of humour in in a teaching profession. Uh, I think, for me, I've had a long think about this. I think it's going to have to be unrestricted whole school emails. You know the oh. whole. And I've been in schools that some of that have just been a complete free for all, and you've had somebody selling a sofa, and then people are commenting <laughs> on how much is the sofa, and and or some people or the passive aggressive face offs when it's the meetings at half past three, and it's and it's whole school. You said it was going to be half past four, and uh, I don't know. I just but again. These are these are kind of CC all CC emails, but I think whenever whenever there's an, a whole school email that's that's not needed, I always. 
I also like it, couple that with when they start with the line, apologies for the mass email. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literally no apologies. Yeah, you shouldn't be, then should you? I know what you're saying though, things do they need to be an email, but I'm going to take that one step further, meetings that don't need to be a meeting and they can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think, also, I would like to put in, if, I, if I'm allowed something else. Please keep in, going, I'm loving this. <laughs> introducing something new often when all you're bothered about is getting to your class or getting your photocopying done. And it's like, right, this week there's going to be a, a sp- we're going to focus on wearing bags in the corridor or something that's just literally, literally just put on you or... T- on Wednesday, there's going to be this happening, and it's it's a complete. And we're going to focus on it for the next two weeks because Monday morning briefings are not a place to to introduce new. I don't think. No, I completely completely agree. Neither was, by the way, today one forty five as we were <laughs> Ramadan hours at two o'clock, and I'm thinking. <laughs> I walked in with my handbag like I was <laughs> I was out of the door. It's the worst possible time to start asking and what we we're today. So we're making videos on how to make revision notes. So then I'm sat there thinking I really need to get my notebook out, but I'm not I'm not going in my handbag. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh finally, go on then. Finally, very last one then. Unpaid cover. Because in this system oh, I'm on, still yeah. I am blown away by the fact that you get paid for doing cover lessons. And I still I still can't get my head around it. I still feel guilty. And like I think I think it'd be great to be able to put that in, but I know it's it's not feasible. I have to say though, never ever ever feel guilty. I mean, what I mean, that is such a perk of your job. And you're right, I would be the same. I finish it, I can't remember what day of the week I was all thrown out the window during Ramadan but I'd be there I'd be staying and doing my cover I wouldn't have a problem at all I think it'd be absolutely amazing and exam invigilation because here we have to invigilate our own exams as well obviously not for us yeah exam invigilation so do you get covered for that as well because that's amazing Uh, or do you get people no I I, I never I never mentioned this did I Uh, I think I mentioned it on the call but not here Uh, how many departmental meetings we have a year no, you haven't mentioned yeah. it, and you no. need to. <laughs> so we have we have one department mental uh, departmental <laughs> meeting a year, and that's on like September the second, say like a couple of days before school starts, and we just discuss a few things, and then that's it. And it's absolutely insane, absolutely insane, completely different way of life for me. I mean, I thought I had a good deal here because we put them actually into our timetable for you know during the teaching day. So when we've all got a common free period, we can at least have the meeting during the day rather than back in the UK. You know, you'd be like, oh, brilliant, I'm at school till five today, just doing the department meeting. Um, But the fact that you don't even need to have them, again, just that autonomy, that level of professional trust. I've told you I'm moving. I'll be coming to this one. I'm there. Go on then, I'll get... (laughs) <laughs> I'll get used to the temperatures, but yeah, go put a word in. I'm on the move. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> oh my goodness, Jeff, we've completely overrun. And like I said, during the show, this is definitely now part one of a two-parter because I feel like we've got so many more things to cover. So thank you so much for being a brilliant guest. And let's be honest, carrying the show today while I'm over here coughing and spluttering. So thank you so much. For being a <laughs> no problem at all. I hope you get well very soon. Thank you very much. And to everybody listening, that was Jeff Pedley, English teacher in Brussels, talking about the European school system which sounds like the absolute 
dream in terms of professional trust. Um, next week, I will not be on the show because we have got Eid here in the UAE and our celebration. So I will be on Eid holiday. And then I will be back on May the, just check in, I think it's the 9th, the 9th. And that is going to be one hell of a show because that is me joined with my boss, my line manager, head of secondary, Brian Horwell, who I have referenced quite a few times tonight because he does have some incredibly wise words of wisdom. So I'm very much looking forward to having him on the show. But once again, I must say a huge thank you to Jeff for joining me in Brussels. He's still in school as well. So thank you, Jeff, for extending your school day. And I will leave you with this and I will be back on the 9th of May. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.